0: and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show.
1: And greetings. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in here today live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. Gentlemen, good to see you. How are you? Doing well. Excellent. Yeah, big weekend for the Erzin family I heard before the show. It was
2: excellent, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. couldn't have been better. That track meet down in Arkansas was a blast. She did well. Make some college recruiting contacts with the defending national champions, you know? Very cool.
1: That does not suck. It does not. Nope. I cut myself shaving because I'm too cheap to replace my razor. That was my weekend. Cool. I didn't leave the house for three days. So, that's, that's what I did. Somebody's going to the Super Bowl, though. And I'm the host. Yeah, Aaron's got a Super Bowl team. Todd's kid. could to get a college scholarship. And it was so cold, I didn't want to leave the house. I turned my basement stairs into my own man-made stair climber for my cardio workout Saturday. Nice. I mean, any I came That's up with any, any excuse not to leave the home because it was so freaking cold here. Today to go to the gym was the first time I had been outside the house since Friday when we got home.
2: That was actually for my... Daughter, we were down just, it's, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas is only like six and a half hours south of, which so kind of blew my mind. I mm-hmm. think SEC, but it, it's that close. It was about 45 degrees the entire time we were there. And I was asking, they said like, that's a bad day. She's like, I'm I'm in. Like, <laughs> I'm in. 888
1: <laughs> 900 If you want to call the, uh, the producers of this program down in Dallas and just let them know how your weekend was. I'm sure they're not busy or doing anything right now. Let them know. 888 900 93 Otherwise, you can email us. Steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Coming up on today's program, next hour, it's our Monday Town Hall, it's our monthly Ask Me Anything social media edition, so our Facebook audience will get to determine the topics that we talk about. Coming up in the next hour of the program, our good friend Bob Vander Plaats will join us here at the bottom of the hour and give us his latest insights on what's going on in the Iowa caucuses, which are now just 15 days away until the or 14 days it's two weeks from tonight so 14 days until the first official votes are cast in the 2020 presidential election we'll have more talk about that here in a moment as well because i'm sure it will be figured or factored in prominently in aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away
0: what happened while we were away brought to you by the women's march which was held in washington dc this weekend
3: the patriarchy
1: donald trump mike pence White supremacy.
0: On the campaign trail, global warming was the topic du jour as actor John
3: Cusack rallied for Bernie Sanders. And Bernie respects us enough to tell the truth, the hard truth. We have a 10 to 12 year window to radically transform our energy systems, or climate change, predatory capitalism, and the endless war economies will rob us of the right to any future at all.
1: Racism, misogyny, homophobia. Transphobia.
0: Elizabeth Warren was in Iowa when she said this. What is the greatest concern in terms from a foreign policy standpoint for the United States today? China? Iran? North Korea or Russia?
2: Can I pick a fifth?
1: You can pick a fifth.
2: Climate. 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 Yeah. <laughs>
0: Capitalism. Classism. The New York Times editorial board decided to break with convention and endorse two candidates for president. The board decided Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar are the Democrats' best choices for president. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, they won't be president. No serán presidente. F-
1: transphobia, Ableism. F-
0: 14 days away from the Iowa caucus, the latest poll of Iowa shows Joe Biden leading the field with 23%. Pete Buttigieg is right behind at 17, with Elizabeth Warren at 15. Bernie Sanders is way back in fifth place at 10%. The poll was conducted by Neighborhood Research and Media after last week's Democrat debate and has a B rating from 538
1: every kind of bigotry out there.
0: Governor Blackface of Virginia has declared a state of emergency in anticipation of a major pro-Second Amendment rally today in the state's capital. Hours before the rally was slated to begin, large crowds of people were already filtering into the area of the Capitol building. Hundreds of members of the global warming cult called Extinction Rebellion literally buried their heads in the sand of Inverloch Beach in Australia over the weekend to try and raise awareness about global warming or something, or maybe they were just trying to find the real land down under. The patriarchy in Cairo, Egypt, where I'm from the patriarchy across the world adventures in blue checkmark twitter has bestiality always been historically so taboo why it doesn't result in pregnancy did it result in diseases why did humans evolve to get so repulsed from touching genitals with other species another blue checkmark on twitter by the name of mike wise a sports journalist said the following after the kansas city chiefs secured their first trip to the super bowl in 50 years quote Congrats to Kansas City's long-suffering fans who've waited their entire lives to get back to a Super Bowl. Based on personal conviction, I hope they understand I can't root for any native-themed team to win it all, especially one that participates in the Tomahawk Chop in 2020. Moving on, President Trump gave a minute-by-minute recount of the final moments of Iranian General Qasim Soleimani to a donor gathering at Mar-a-Lago. He
3: said, sir, and this is from, you know, cameras that are miles in the sky, uh, they're together, sir. Uh, sir, they have two minutes and 11 seconds. It's no, normal. B- they have two mi- minutes and 11 seconds to live, sir. They're in the car. They're in an armored vehicle going. Sir, they have approximately one minute to live, sir. 30 seconds. Sir. 10, 9, 8. Then all of a sudden, boom. They got it, sir. Cutting off. I said, where is this guy? That was the last I heard from him.
1: Patriarchy in every time zone and f- patriarchy in every universe.
0: And finally, Jack Wilson, the hero who stopped an attempted mass shooting at a Texas church a few weeks ago, spoke to Turning Point USA recently.
2: I did not do what I did to be, you know, for a hero status. I don't see myself as a hero. My role is a, a more of a protector for anyone who happens to be in the congregation, you know, being able to. You know, protect them. People exist, you know, in multiple facets all over the country, all over the world, and we have to address
0: that. God gave me the training, gave me the mindset to be able to stop, you know, the situation. And that's what happened. Well, we were away.
1: Aaron's montage brought to you by Simply Safe. We use this product at our home and it is fantastic. It's like getting commercial grade enterprise level security but for your own home. Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately and this is the exact kind of security that you're going to get from Simply Safe. If there's a break in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to, that gives them 350% faster time. Period from the eight and a half minutes it normally takes for them to arrive when you call 911. With Simply Safe, you'll get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, even carbon monoxide poisoning. And it's all monitored 24 7 by live security professionals. It's so easy to set up. I was able to do it with minimal help from the wife because she does most of the setup. In the home, I do the providing; she does the setup. All right. Even I was able to do this, and it only costs fifty cents a day with no contracts. Go to simplysafe.com/truthbombs today to get free shipping on your order plus a sixty-day money-back guarantee. I'm telling you, I've used other security companies. This one is clearly superior. All right, and it's cheaper than you think it's going to be. Simplysafe.com/truthbombs. Simply Safe, S-I-M-P-L-I, Safe.com. SimplySafe.com slash truth bombs to save on your home security today. There was no mention of today being Martin Luther King Jr. Day, otherwise known as perennial retcon by all tribalistic partisans looking for their preferred agate, crop, agate prop day, although that's a little long to pronounce in in, in one branding. So we just go with MLK Day. Um, and so we're going to discuss that later today in the overtime. If you're not yet a blaze TV subscriber, you'd like to become one. We'll be breaking that down for you today. Why probably all kinds of people that right now are claiming on the right and left that Martin Luther King jr is their spirit animal would likely, if you look at what he's actually written. Find something they'd be very, very disappointed by. And I'm not even going to get into FBI wiretaps, allegedly. All right. So we're going to talk about that coming up in the overtime today. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you'd like to become one, blazetv.com slash DACE is how you can get a reduced discounted subscription to my show and every show here at Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash DACE. If you're already a subscriber, cool. Thank you. Now just sit tight. That'll be posted for you later this afternoon. All right, gentlemen, let's get to a couple of the things in the montage. Um, the, the Iowa poll that Aaron cited, I personally know and know well who's responsible for that poll. And you have to, When I think a lot of people, we've done this education before, and we'll probably have to do it a few more times since it is an election year this time around too. A lot of people think when they read a poll, it's, it's literally just what they call this many people And this many people said blank, and this many people said blank, and those are the percentages, right? That's what most people think a poll is. It's not. That's what the raw, what's called the raw data in a poll is. But the reason pollsters make money is because anybody, if given the right voter file that has, you know, high primate level motor functioning skills could do that. Just call people and... This is the voter file who's most likely to... Sh- no, no, that's not what a pollster does to make their money. What, what they have to do is then weight that data. They have to weight it. And, and knowing this particular polling firm, and I've, I've actually worked with them in campaigns in the past, I am shocked that they weighted their data and came back with Bernie Sanders only getting 10% in Iowa. No way that happens. No way. I'm just going to tell you right now, there is no way. No way. Bernie Sanders could have another heart attack, but this time, it it takes his life. Okay? And if it happens between now and Monday, February the 3rd, 14 days from now, he is still going to not get only
2: 10% in the Iowa caucuses, I promise. And if he did somehow drop to 10%, Elizabeth Warren would be in the lead and not in third place. Thank
1: you for pointing that out. I was going to make that as my, the next point to bolster my case, because if you add up Warren and Sanders' support at 25%, there's a lot more of those kinds of voters in Iowa than 25% of the sample. This is why Joe Biden needs Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren to go to war, basically, and split that vote because if one of them were to rise and then one were to look weak and you go into a caucus night where they start doing the horse trading as we've described before on the democratic side in particular there's more of this and they start doing the horse trading and it looks like one clearly has the momentum going in sanders still is probably not going to get 10 percent in that model because she has he's the ron paul right now Correct. okay that that you're you're supporting bernie sanders sanders's hardcore base are people just like with ron paul that either buy into his ideology Or don't even know what a John Galt is in the case of Ron Paul. They just think he's crazy enough with that wild-eyed look in the face to do some of the crazy stuff he's talking about, and they just want something new, okay? And that's what Bernie Sanders is. There's a base of people that really do believe Antonio Gramsci was just misunderstood, okay? And then there's a base of people that just don't care. They hate the system, and they— and God bless him for that, by the oh, way. Yeah. All right. Um, but they just hate the system and they're looking for whoever's got the craziest wild hair to look in their eye that is just that just might push a button that says you can't.
2: Trump, Paul, Sanders, they all yes, have, they're all cousins yes. in that
1: respect. Agreed. Absolutely they are. All right. Now, Sanders is the cousin Eddie of that
2: arrangement. <laughs> all
1: right. But they are indeed. I don't
2: know why they call it hamburger helper, Clark. <laughs>
1: indeed. <laughs> it's just fine on its own. Indeed. I mean, even the scene where they go shopping at the walmart and 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 you know uh chevy chase is like you know what clark is like hey you know what wife and i got together we're gonna buy the christmas gifts and do this out of charity and eddie pulls out a list of gifts for everybody like a true socialist right there why don't
2: you buy something real nice for yourself clark indeed okay
1: so all right He's the cousin Eddie of the arrangement, but yes, they, they do have a, a, a similar family tree where that's concerned. Agreed. And there's a lot more of that vote than 10% in Iowa, right? So Sanders isn't going to fall to that. I, I mean, I, maybe he could fall to a 15 if the media can persist and they're successful in what they're trying to do to him right now. But why are they doing this? Are they doing this in a vacuum? No. Are they doing this to help Joe Biden? No. who? Why are they doing what they're doing to, to, to Bernie Sanders right now? Who are they doing it for?
2: Elizabeth Warren specifically yes. and women power in general, exactly. which I've been talking about for a exactly. while. Exactly.
1: So Bernie Sanders at 10, what that poll is telling you is they think he's going to hit his rock bottom because I still think his rock bottom is a number a little higher than that. Okay, I think it's rock bottoms at least somewhere 12 to 15. But if he's hitting his rock bottom, Elizabeth Warren isn't going to be at 15%, guys. She's going to push 30 if, if if she's at, if, if if Bernie goes to rock bottom, she's going to win the Iowa caucuses. Anybody disagree with that? No, I think that's exactly right. And that's why I, I'm knowing that polling group as I did. If if you waited that and came back with that, sometimes as a pollster, you just realize you know what, man, we got to just scrap this and start over. And I think if you know if you, it, it's like coming back with a metric that says, well, really LSU wasn't the best college football. Stop, stop what you're doing because you're about to ruin. The image and styling you're used to all right you need to stop all right and just realize this me- whatever metric i had that gave me this conclusion is just it's just wrong all right so let's move on to the other story then in the pre- in, in the presidential Re- election today really
2: quickly just yeah. run, all right this is a perfect time tomorrow for a full hour david yepson coming in to help us yes. sort through this yeah yeah
1: that and and i'll just ask him point blank do you believe it is possible if if he's alive if he's alive that Bernie Sanders could finish fifth in the Iowa caucuses. And I'm pretty confident David's going to say no. Okay. But we'll find out. All right. Um, let's go to the other story in the presidential arena, uh, in the political arena this morning with the New York times double endorsement. And I know sometimes in, in what's left of American or conservative media, sometimes we just frame things because it's good for clicks and it's funny. Right. And particularly where the last, the latter is concerned. I'm, I don't want to get in the way of that, but I also I, sometimes I can't tell, like you, you in the audience, sometimes can't tell when I'm being sarcastic or not, right? Because sometimes it's a little too much on the nose. Sometimes I can't tell if some of our brethren are just doing the clickbaity, funny, haha, let's troll the, the lefty thing, or if if we really do buy into this level of banal, vapid, um, strawmanism of our opponents. Okay, and so since I can't tell maybe those of you some of you in the audience are smarter than me and realize all of this is funny trolling um, I I don't think like the line I saw this morning I, I don't think the new york times endorsing two women has anything to do with they couldn't make up their mind In fact, I think the exact opposite is true I think their minds have been made up for quite a while And that's why they endorsed two women all right, Because what I've been trying to tell you for the last couple of months is other than the plumbing there's, and the party affiliation, when you look at the kinds of candidacies they're running right now, Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren have very little in common. If you look at Amy Klobuchar's ads right now in Iowa, they're cheery, they're Minnesota nice, Iowa nice. One of the taglines in the ads is um, I, I get, she gets more legislation passed than any other member of Congress, okay? In other words, I can work with both sides. At some point, we have to be an adult, okay? She's running in the, you know, there's sub, we've talked all year, there's sub-primaries on the Democratic side, like there's sub-primaries on the Republican side. There's the Ron Paul wing, there's the evangelical wing, there's the Bush faction, right? There's sub-primaries in each party. And she is running in the, you know, At some point, we've got to convince enough people to vote for us that we can actually beat Trump subprimary. That's the one Joe Biden is running in right now. And he's leading it right now, but he was expected to have clinched this like six months ago so he could begin expanding his base from there like a Mitt Romney did in 2012. He's been unable to nail that down. And it's not not necessarily because there's one viable challenger. Pete Buttigieg just kind of had a moment in this subprimary, but you're seeing him kind of taper off a little bit. OK, he's still going to run pretty strong on caucus night, but um, he has he, the, the, the momentum he's had has had a tapering off. You agree with that to some extent? Yes. OK, um, it, this is more about Biden, that when you make your entire argument based on electability, in fact, the ads that Biden is running and now in Iowa literally have news clips of his of his polls showing he can beat Trump. He, he, that's the, that's his closing sale. That's his only sale. It's like he was never Barack Obama's vice president. None of that matters now. It's like he was never in the U.S. Senate. His entire closing pitch is, I'm just a, you know what? I'm your Huckleberry. That might as well be his campaign slogan right now. That's his closing pitch. And it's the only pitch that he has, frankly, when you look at the way that he has performed. But when you base it on that, though, and you cannot command a stage for a couple of hours against largely friendlies, People are going to look at that and say, how are you going to command a stage one-on-one with Donald Trump for two hours? When, you don't, when, you're, when the only buffer is the, is the moderator, but Trump has trained his audience. Again, I'm speaking the way they think. Trump has trained his audience that every moderator that asks a difficult question is a liberal hack and bias. So I can't, I can't trust the moderator to hold Donald Trump back either. You've got to be able to do it. And, and I don't know which of these debate performances would make you think there's been what seven or eight of them with him. I don't know which of them would make you think that oh, that. And this is after seven, eight months of grueling campaigning, and then we get into October in the debates. Right. So he's been. This is after he's been on the trail all of these months, and Trump's just largely doing rallies like the one he's doing here in Des Moines at the end of the month. Okay, so you're on the grind of the campaign trail. At which of these debates, Performances makes you think after seven, eight more months of this, that Joe Biden's going to sit there one on one with Donald Trump for two hours. Answer, none would be the answer. And so I think the New York Times has has had a convenient opportunity here because of Amy Klobuchar's plumbing, since gender is just a construct, because of Amy Klobuchar's plumbing. They had a unique opportunity here to do a co-endorsement realizing that this doesn't splinter Elizabeth Warren's base really whatsoever. That the real concern is that Amy Klobuchar is fading, that she never really is going to have a moment. And if she goes, if she goes from six or 7% on caucus night to two, most of that vote's not going to go to Elizabeth Warren. Most of that vote's going to go to Joe Biden. And that could be the difference. See, there's a war going on in the democratic party right now where you have the, the old power structure, that still thinks at some point we have to win, we can, we can, we can snicker and, and quote Vox and Slate all we want, but at some point we've still got to actually win an election. And that's where John Kerry and Tom Vilsack and all these people are now trying to carry Joe Biden across the finish line. Because the goal is we need vi- Biden to be viable enough to get us to South Carolina and then Super Tuesday with all of that black support in all of those southern states. We can't have him just wash out in Iowa and New Hampshire, then he's Jeb Bush and there's no firewall. That's, that's the plan is to make Joe Biden relevant enough to get to that firewall. And they don't want Bernie Sanders and or Elizabeth Warren consolidating support in those first two states where now it looks like they look pretty inevitable. They're going to be in the nominee. Joe Biden's got to get out. You're dividing the party. They're trying to avoid that argument. Well, Amy Klobuchar never has a moment. And and her, her base implodes when they start wheeling dealing two weeks from now. It, most of that's going to go to Joe Biden. There will be some that will just say, you know what, in the end, I want to vote for a woman. There will be some of that. But I would say it's 75-25. Her base goes to Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg, whichever one of them in that subprimary they prefer. But a lot more of it's going to go to Joe Biden than it's going to go to Elizabeth Warren. So I, don't, I think this is an attempt to elevate Amy Klobuchar, to keep her, uh, her head above water in that subprimary so that Joe Biden doesn't run away with that and win some kind of war, ugly war of attrition here these last two weeks in Iowa. Todd, your thoughts?
2: It absolutely is that. It's also uh, above what you've already said about uh, Pete Buttigieg and the black vote. This is true. This is... He had Buzzfeed eight, running
1: a story yesterday. We're Buzzfeed
2: pretending to be mystified. Yes, why?
1: Why Pete Buttigieg has no black support? But
2: even beyond him, this is a signal from the New York Times. This is it's officially declared. This is a game of chicken with the black vote in the Democrat Party, because if Biden. Goes, are they going to just? Is Elizabeth Warren fine for the black vote? Because when they clearly prefer Joe Biden, it's that's undeniable. I. It, this is going to be fascinating beyond what the uh, uh, Black America thinks about just a Buttigieg. It's it's a potential renaissance moment for the Black vote in
0: America. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I think that this is this is a, a pretty good example in some ways. What, what we're describing here is a pretty good example of what I think it would have looked like back in maybe 2012 and even 2008 to be on the outside looking in of Republican. Uh, Repub- the Republican primary uh, process, especially leading up to the Iowa caucuses, because when you're on the inside, as you know, on right of center, you know, you're you're in that orbit when you're on the inside looking out and on the inside and you've got your own uh, candidate, uh, like uh, like we have those last two cycles. Um, it's it's kind of difficult. To, you know, the fog of war is there and it's kind of difficult to see the larger picture. But all of the factions and all of the infighting here amongst the Democrats and all of the trying to play kingmaker here and the wheeling and dealing as well, that this is a pretty good picture. What the Democrats exper- are experiencing right now are what Republicans and uh, different factions like conservatism, what have you, inside the Republican Party have faced for years now. Cycle after cycle where it's just this big uh, kind of free-for-all for a little while. But I think what what's going to be different here is that the Democrat base – is so much more hard to contain and so much more yep. hard to get on board with. Agreed. It. We can't split the you – no, know, this is going to be a lot different than what uh, than, than, than what Republicans have faced in the past as well. And I want to say this as well. I think maybe there's a learning op- – because of that, there's a learning opportunity for conservatives who are told cycle after cycle, well, we got to get behind the – we got to get behind the nominee. We don't want to split the – but the Democrats – I think we're going to see right now what, what happens one way or the other. You know, the, the sky doesn't fall, uh, you know, once, once there's a base rebellion within a major party. We're going to see what happens and there's going to be a learning opportunity. I don't know what the lesson learned will be. It might not be good, but there's going to be a learning opportunity, I think, for Republicans in, in this as well.
1: Wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said there. And there's been, there's been two sub-sub-primaries that have been won. Bernie Sanders has his own insurgent base. And if, if, if you're a leftist woman and you, and you think it's t- just time for someone with your body parts to be president, Elizabeth Warren has won that. And then I would say that there's a third. If you are a, a, a white guilt-ridden suburban exurbanite in Iowa, anxious to show that you are ashamed of, of your whiteness, um, Pete Buttigieg has won that group. Okay. So all three of those people are going to finish in double figures on caucus night. And then it just is a matter of which one of the three can build a winning coalition. So any thoughts on that?
2: I need to process, but tomorrow's discussion is going to be fascinating. I I don't disagree with any of your three. I just I I think it, it, it's so convoluted in the middle that I I think Biden can both be fifth place at this point, and despite everything I've said at him, he could eke out this weird, Agreed. very narrow that, number one well, as well.
1: That verifies that I don't believe he's won any kind of sub sub primary yet. I think he, that that because I totally agree with that. I think I think I think. See, I think Joe Biden could finish with ten percent or twenty three or twenty four percent. I think either one of those. Is possible. I think yes. it's
2: uh, right now, I think it's more likely it's it's ten. I, I think there's Iowa goes in there. They're like we're not we're not going to be so boring and just validate this vague vanilla bite in twenty three percent and not not push this discussion forward. I think Iowan's are going to kneecap them, but i'm I can't say that with absolute certainty. i'm
1: I'm really surprised how much conservative media there was at, in December that Elizabeth Warren's candidacy was over she She raised twenty one million in the in the in the in the fourth quarter. That's behind only Biden and Bernie.
2: I didn't think and, it was and, over, but I thought it was in worse shape a week ago than it clearly is. i
1: well I agree with that too. But I mean, I mean, people were writing her obituary. And I'm like, she still has a pretty built-in substantial organization in Iowa. Now it might finish third. But the idea that her candidacy was just dead, that she was Kamala Harris, I, I think that was, which kind of surprises me too, that there was so much of that in conservative oh. media, because she's the kind of Democratic candidate of anything that, if you're you're doing, want. that you'd want. Yeah. If you're doing partisan writing, you'd be more inclined to elevate. Hey, I think she could be the nominee. Because yeah. I said from the very beginning, if I'm Donald Trump, if I could run against any one of these candidates that's running, it would be her. That could be the nominee. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not so sure it's not Biden. Because ultimately, in the end, the number one threshold every candidate has to pass is, can I see you being the president of the United States? And and I don't know that if on a one-on-one basis, he passes that threshold. I don't think that he does for a lot of people. I don't. I think he just gets the I hate Donald Trump vote if he's the nominee. I don't think he's got the upward mobility as a candidate that they thought he had when he got in this race about a year ago. We'll come back, talk more about this with our buddy Bob Vander Plaats in a moment. <laughs> We are back at it here on the Steve Day Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. If you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, whichever podcast platform you choose, because the more of those we get, the more the algorithms now that run our lives help us to find more people like you. And then the more likely our benevolent overlords down there in Dallas will allow us to continue to do this for a living. So give us a five-star review for the children. Ours. Thousands of you have given us a five-star review already. Please consider giving us eight or nine more if you've got the time. I I don't know if they permit the stuffing of the ballot box like that, but I'm willing to give it a shot if you are. And if you haven't yet given us a five-star review, what is wrong with you? Please do it now or you're terrible. Is that an okay pitch, do you think? Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. I I tried to make it, you told me to be more empathetic,
0: Aaron. I, I tried to make it more empathetic. Oh yeah, no that uh, that reeks reeks of empathy. Uh, okay, empathy. In as much yeah. as you're capable of reeking. empathy. Of uh,
1: well you know it's better. Is it better than Hillary? Oh, no, yeah. it's better. Oh, yeah, right, we're good here. Yeah, we're good. All right. Speaking
0: of better than Hillary,
1: our good friend Bob Vanderplas is back here with us uh, again this week. Good to see you, my friend, and congratulations for for meeting that threshold as well. How are you?
3: <laughs> I'm doing really well. After this segment, I'm sure they'll give you a five star rating. <laughs> Um, Let's
1: talk. Well, you know, let's not have any delusions of adequacy quite yet. All right, here we go. But let's let's get to two weeks out from uh, the first official votes are going to be cast in the 2020 presidential election right here in our backyard two weeks from today. Let me just, rather than ask you a leading question, I'll ask you an open-ended one to find out what you think first, okay? Where are we at right now?
3: Where we at, I think, is what we were, where we ended last week. It's an organizational contest yet. Uh, I think Buttigieg obviously has a floor. Sander has a floor. Uh, I think Warren's got a floor. Those, those three are very strong caucus candidates. Uh, who wins one, two, and three, I don't know. Uh, but I think Biden and Klobuchar are probably fighting it out. Probably it's going to be more Biden than Klobuchar, but for the fourth and fifth spot. I don't see Biden coming up. Unless Klobuchar's voters say, and I think it's going to be harder today for Klobuchar's voters to get there because the New York Times, I don't know if you saw that, but they just endorse Klobuchar and Warren. Now, for us, the New York Times endorsement doesn't mean a lot, but in that caucus, it could mean a lot. But if Biden's people could convince Klobuchar's people, listen, she can't get there. You need to come behind us if you want to have common sense, mainstream leadership That's the only way I could see Biden getting up into the top three. I don't think he wins it. I still think it's between uh, Bernie, Elizabeth, and, and Mayor Pete.
1: Well, now we know that on Monday mornings here at the Family Leader, Bob, conducts a staff meeting and doesn't listen to the show before he comes in. Because that's pretty much a repeat of the exact analysis I had here at the top of the program that I, I think there's, you know, and I get some of this, well, I is, get accused
3: all the time, Steve, that you just tell me what to say. So maybe this is one of those, to- <laughs> one of those no, time.
1: no, we have, we have not spoken yet
3: this morning, not on this topic, not on this topic, <laughs> no, yeah.
1: but, um, uh, I saw this in, in writing media this morning, and I know some of it's trolling. Ha <laughs> ha, I get it. That's part of the business, right? Yeah. I understand. But it was almost universal, this take, that the New York Times just got its estrogen out of whack, its pathos it couldn't overcome, and double-mindedly just picked two chicks. I don't think that's what happened here at all. I, I think both, I think they double endorsed Elizabeth Warren is what I think. I think Elizabeth Warren's been the media's candidate all along. I've been telling you this since last spring. Elizabeth Warren's the first candidate for a of office I have ever seen in my career. Go joke and not go broke. And when I say go joke, I don't mean mocked by your opponents. I mean mocked by, when I say, when you start becoming a a, a, a fixture of scorn and mockery from the people you're trying to reach, That's when you don't come back from that, okay? Mm -hmm. And and that was when she was giving shout-outs to Mr. Fortnite on chats, and let me get my husband a beer as absolutely awkwardly as humanly possible in Facebook Lives, okay? And she's getting mocked on The Daily Show, all the lefty, uh, that's her audience. And I think what happened is you saw Bernie Sanders then begin to surge. And I think the media realized we need a candidate with a lot of Sanders' ideology, but that Soviet approach is gonna hand Donald Trump 40 states next year. We can't have that. And she has been... Because she's also a woman, and they want this to be the time of the woman. She's been their chosen candidate all along. They resurrected her from the gaffes of "Hey, I'm one thousand twenty fourth percentile Native American, so I didn't lie." Oh, I didn't know that I put on my bar association, uh, you know, form for thirty plus years. I was I was Native American and lied on, on a government document all this time. They rescued her from that. Yet they, they they set her up in, in all these debates. She soared to the front and. And then she decided she was going to be honest about medicare for all and show her math and everybody realized that dog's not going to hunt and right when she started to slide they've resurrected her again you can see it after the way they're going after bernie sanders where they have body language experts now Was he lying or not the way that that question was framed at the last debate in the most friendly warren way possible they've got their thumb on the scale the endorsement of amy klobuchar is, is also an endorsement of Elizabeth Warren. It is out of fear that she's not going to have a moment. And when they get into that caucus room two, two weeks from now, her five and 6% becomes nothing. And most of it goes to Joe Biden. And he, because here's, here's the big picture view I have, Bob, and you tell me if you agree or disagree. What's happening right now is the media is attempting to have Elizabeth Warren knock out Bernie Sanders in that grassroots primary and just have Bernie Sanders beat his own, in his own Ron Paul world 10 to 15%. But but doesn't build a coalition beyond that that can win and that she swoops in and she grabs that grassroots support and the establishment in the Democratic Party, at least what's left of it, because I think the leftists are becoming the establishment. But the old guard, we still have to win. And we've talked about Vilsack and Kerry and all these people coming into Iowa. They're trying to carry him across the finish line. And the goal is that he doesn't wash out in these first two states so that he can get to South Carolina and win there with some black support. And then all those Southern states on Super Tuesday with black voters helping Joe Biden, they've got to keep him viable, though, until they can get to that point. If he washes out in Iowa and New Hampshire back to back, he's done. And so I think they're trying to res- they're trying to carry him. It takes a village to survive. They're trying to carry him across the finish line. And the media is trying to have or is trying to elevate Elizabeth Warren one final time to win that subprimary over Bernie Sanders, and that's also why Amy Klobuchar was endorsed, hoping that she can stay viable, get in somewhere around ten percent, so her voters don't desert her and go to Joe Biden, which makes it harder for Elizabeth Warren on caucus night. Your thoughts?
3: Well, first of all, I thank you. You have you know very savvy insight to this thing. When I when I read the New York Times uh, endorsement of these two, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden took the same hit from the New York Times. These guys are about dead. I mean, basically, they <laughs> said, hey, uh, Sanders has been a pioneer with all these ideas, you know, the uh, he he- health care for all, all that. Yeah. But he's he'll be 79 years old when he's sworn into office. He just had a heart attack. His health isn't good. There's no way you can tie your wagon to him. And so that elevates Elizabeth Warren. They said the same thing about Joe Biden, basically, that he doesn't look good as far as closing the sale. And by the way, it's time to put the torch to the new generation. And so what they did is that they propped up Amy Klobuchar. I think you're exactly right, Steve, so that if she doesn't have any hope, they can go, now the New York Times endorsed Elizabeth and Klobuchar. So if she can't get there, come behind Elizabeth. It was interesting with Mayor Pete, what they said about Mayor Pete. Oh boy, you know, the first authentic gay dude running for president, so to speak. Uh, But his time just isn't yet. Basically, what they're saying is that America isn't ready for a gay dude married to a gay dude to be president of the United States. So we're glad you played, but uh, come back later, so to speak. So the first two guys and come
1: back when you're not a mayor of a podunk town, right? The yeah. first
3: two guys are done. The other one, they're kind of like, uh, you got a bright future, but go away. Mm-hmm. But here's our two women. And we think, I think you're exactly right. And the whole deal with Warren, I got a lot of comments about the hot mic moment. Did you lie to me in front of a national audience? She knew that Mike was live. She wanted that mic to be live. I almost, I'm positive I wouldn't be shocked if that was coordinated with
1: her in the media to do that, to get that moment out there. Why? Because that's the first time you could see the way she walks right over there and steps to him. Again, who can beat
3: Donald Trump? So So she's going to take on Sanders. Yes, yes.
1: Look what I did to him. I went right over to him and, and I'm friends with him. Right. We're hugging each other after these previous debates. And the way I went right over to him and went right in his face and made him turn tail and run. If I'm doing that to the guy I agree with, what do you think I'm going to do to the person that I don't? I think that enti- I, I think almost all of this is a media coordination is you can't on one hand. And if you think that's nuts, is it really that big of a is it really that big of a leap? That, that the same network that phrased that back and forth about what Bernie said or alleged to have, have said about can a woman win, framed it in, in the most pro-Warren way possible, took another step in making sure they left the mic hot. You go over there and confront him, and we'll make sure this – I don't think it's and that much of a, of a leap who, at all.
3: Remember who hosted the debate. It was CNN. Right. Who are contributors to CNN? New York Times all the time. And so, therefore, this could have been so coordinated – and to show Bernie off of his game completely.
1: I think the other way they've double endorsed Warren is that this is a s this is a tacit pitch for a for a ticket. For an all female ticket. And if you look at what Amy Klobuchar, the ad she's running in Iowa right now, I get stuff done. I'm, I'm Minnesota nice. I People on the other side of the aisle work with me. Okay? I beat
3: Trump in red districts. Yep,
1: all right. And and Elizabeth Warren is running as the Wellesley College Dean of uh, Women's Studies, okay? So these are the two f- main factions of the Democratic Party. You put them together in a unity ticket and they're both women and that's the weakest constituency group Trump has. I think, I think all of this is not, they just went in their random path they, they all were. They all cycled. All the women in the newsroom cycled at the same time, and all that estrogen got in the room. I know that works for clicks and conservative media, but you'll never beat your opponents if you treat them as infantile as that. If you constantly assume they're straw men, and if you constantly assume they don't know what they're doing, learn. You want to defeat your opponent, respect them. All right. Patton wanted to end Erwin Rommel and end. Everything that he represented. But to get there, he had to learn to respect him as an adversary. Otherwise, he was going to get ambushed all of the time. I don't believe for a second this was just every, every woman in, every, in the news and the New York Times op-ed page cycled at the same time and could not make their minds and said, just pick the two women. Ha-ha. No, I, don't, I think it's there's a lot more going on here. And I think we would be wise to recognize that.
3: And the only two in the debate who even somewhat went after each other was Sanders and Warren. And the reason is they know that they're not looking for – their people aren't going anywhere for the number two vote. They're going to try to get number two votes. The other people where I said last week here, Klobuchar is going to go after Buttigieg, she didn't at all. And, and I think what is everybody's starting to go, is there a way I can position myself to be Iowa nice to get that number two vote to elevate, to elevate myself? The question I have for you, Steve, though, is after knowing all of that, so how does this play out? Who's number one? Who's number two? Who's number three? Well how do you see
1: it? I think this is gonna be a big week. And I I, I think I think what you're gonna see this week is the Warren Media Industrial Complex go all out against Bernie Sanders. Okay. And and then if they can't do that, then I think next week you'll see them go back to their original pitch. And here's why. Because it's a tricky balance. On one hand, you need, him to, you need him to decrease so that you can increase. Mm-hmm. If, if you watch the, you can start this back in January. These were two of the first candidates in. Their trend lines have, have, have been a mirror universe of one another. When one is up, the other's down. When one is down, the other's up. That's not a coincidence, all right? So um, I think this week is the week they try to see if they can mortally wound him from a, from a coalition building standpoint. His base is going to show up no matter what. I mean they, they had, you know, Never Warren trending on Twitter, number one in the in the in the world of, over the weekend. That's that Ron Paul level of, of 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 fervor. They're gonna show up no matter what. So he's got a very high floor. The goal here is to try to mitigate how low is to is to lower his ceiling. I think this week you're gonna see them go all in to do that. Because here's what you can't have. Eventually if it goes too long, it becomes mutually assured destruction. And they both walk out of there with 14, 15 percent. Cancel each other and out. And
3: Buttigieg is number one.
1: And Buttigieg or Biden finds some way to squeak out 21, 22 percent or or even finish the second. Because the, if, if they can get Biden to finish second, that faction's message is going to be he's viable. No one said he could win. He wasn't winning any polls because the whole thing is to keep the, this is he, Joe Biden is weekend at Bernie's as a candidate, okay? If you remember that obscure movie from the 1980s where they dragged the dead guy around, okay, uh, <laughs> to, 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 as, as a prop, all right? This is a Joe Diffie country song. He's getting propped up beside the jukebox right now. So the whole goal is to keep his carcass homo erectus long enough so they can get to the South. And, and so they need, to, they need some narrative to show that he's viable. If they continue, if this goes all the way to the day before the caucuses, and you, and you, then that is where all that emotion—if you put it all in the room together—that's where it could be mutually assured destruction. So,
3: so, let me ask you another question: since their number one issue is who can beat Trump, okay? So, I think the question—if we think like it, think like them for a second—Who's the the best person positioned to beat Trump? And let me ask you this with a little bit different insight: I was just in Dallas for three days. You know who's on TV all the time in Dallas, Texas, all the time? Mayor Bloomberg, he's running this completely different. But he's and they say he's he's on he's on airwaves all over the place. He's skipping the the other primary states, those things. Who's best positioned to beat Trump? Is it Warren, Klobuchar? Because I don't see Sanders doing it. I don't see Buttigieg doing it. I don't think Biden can close the sale looking the way he looks. His commercials are good, but I don't see him closing they're, they're the sale. Never,
1: they're never going to Michael Bloomberg. That's never gonna happen. He's a he's a king without a country.
3: So can Warren Klobuchar, can Warren beat Donald Trump?
1: The argument well again, thinking the way they think Right. That's okay. what I'm asking. So that the thinking the way they think is why Michael Bloomberg is has no shot. Okay? Because he doesn't he doesn't belong from an identity standpoint to any of their native constituency groups. He has right? no natural base. He has no natural base. There's and, no slurping. And, and this works they're in the Republican Party base. too. He's, he's the Rudy Giuliani candidate. And they're both former mayors of where? New okay? York. And, and because in the end, Rudy Giuliani couldn't build a native base with any constituency group in the Republican Party. All right and and ultimately the number one thing any candidate has to do is build a base. If you can't build an initial base that's your number one litmus test, if you can't that then it becomes an acid test and you fail just by dropping the acid in the first place. So it's never going to be him. I think what the New York Times is now attempting to do and we and we have seen this pattern where there we you know guys we talked last year about they they're writing columns now that used to be like at the Village Voice or Vox, and they would like never put the the respectability of the New York Times masthead. And I think I used the reference from the from the second Avengers movie, where the the uh, the after credit scene is Thanos grabs the gauntlet at the at the end of Age of Ultron and says, "Fine, I'll do it myself." When they've kind of outsourced this the the really hard left stuff, and then those guys got so silly it was clear that they couldn't do it anymore. They've put on the gauntlet now, and the New York Times is saying. Then fine, we'll do it ourselves. The adults have to do it now. And I think this was clearly an attempt to chart a path forward that Donald Trump's kryptonite are women voters. Again, thinking the way they, they think. think. That Donald Trump's kryptonite are women voters. They just had a midterm election. Which did they, who did they lose? Suburban women. There was like a fourteen point swing. Of Donald Trump won that group by five points in two thousand and sixteen. The Republicans lost them by I think nine or ten points in two thousand and eighteen. So how do
3: you double That's, down? So how do
1: you double down? We get we get the we get the hard leftist woman with the with the socialist populist message. We get the Midwestern, Iowa, Minnesota, nice women, woman, and we put them together, and we have Donald Trump, two white males, two straight white males, spend the year arguing with these two women, and that's the identity message we want to present to the country. That's what I think the New York Times And is so
3: doing. the historical dual endorsement comes in general election time saying, boy, we're prophetic. Exactly. This, this is a
1: ticket. They set up their own... Self-fulfilling prophecy. They, they, they. This is a real-time retconning. Um, this is Biff has the almanac, al, the almanac in Back to the Future too, and he's betting games where he already knows the outcome. Okay, that's what I think. They think this is thumb on the scale. They've, they're, they're creating both the front and back end outcome here. Todd, your thoughts?
2: Well, we haven't mentioned the name, but listen, they, they, they believe. That Hillary won last year. They don't. They believe in the popular vote. They would get rid of the electoral college, and uh, they in their head the way they think is important. In, the, in their head, Donald Trump must be hated more now than even then because look at him. It's obvious when it, the rest of us it isn't. So yeah, they just and so now we have not one woman but two women, and none of them are named Hillary. And we're gonna just if this is to some degree a resetting. Almanac-wise, like you're talking about, in their mind, it makes total sense. And again, I know, I've said this for months, I, I, it's not just everybody cycling at the same time, but I know the women who are of this age in these newsrooms, they see themselves in her. We've been waiting, we're tired of waiting, we're not going to give it to the 12-year-old gay guy from South Bend, it's our time.
1: Yes, you have 20 seconds, go.
3: Well, I, <laughs> I think you're you're, exa- you're exactly right. Uh, but i think they're also looking at can we can we double down the suburban woman to beat trump in the end
1: okay good to see you man All like nice. that jacket by the way that's nice nice man. I will come back your turn to ask me anything next stay tuned With our number two on a Monday, live and on demand on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. I am Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin are here with me as well in a moment. It is our weekly Monday Town Hall. This week it's the social media once-a-month edition. We're on our Facebook page. We have, or at least Todd and Aaron have, selected. Based on the questions you've posed there, an opportunity to ask me anything. So that's coming up here in a matter of mere moments. But first, I want to let you know that it's sponsored by our good friends over at RidUZone who want to give you a bit of a reality check. How many of you made a New Year's resolution to change your diet, lose weight? How's that going so far, though? Chances are you're having a lot of trouble fighting the cravings, but there is a solution. It's called RidUZone, developed by doctors, backed by two U.S. patents, Riduzone is the only FDA accepted product that includes OEA, the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake. Riduzone makes it easy to resist the cravings that can ruin your resolution face it. Dieting alone is just too hard. The easy way to keep your resolution and get your weight under control is RidUZone, which is exclusively available at RidUZone.com. Use promo code Steve at RidUZone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com to save up to 65% off your order. That is massive. 65% off when you use promo code Steve My name at riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com, promo code Steve. Get a huge discount, 65% off your order. And with that, it is time for the Monday Town Hall. We do this each Monday on the show, and then once a month on a Monday, we let the social media audience take over. Todd, you have perused the various questions posed to our Facebook page. have. You have passed them on to Aaron. Aaron,
0: you're going to ask them of me one by one. Indeed. You ready to get going? I'm ready. All right, the first one from Constantinus Roditis, and I'm going to tell you uh, the first two questions today have to do with revival or bust. He says, With your theme of revival or bust, revival will only come through the church preaching the gospel and not politicians or policy. Therefore, how much emphasis should believers involved in politics focus on so-called social issues or limited, uh, over-limited government policies that espouse our worldview to a larger and unbelieving society? I've always struggled with how much emphasis we should have over one or the other or just espouse both as much as possible which sometimes I feel might be counterproductive. I think that's an excellent question.
1: I think it's too late to ask it. And and here's why. I I I I think now we're in an era where we have an openly avowed socialist running for president. Soviet style socialist. I mean, we've been, if you're on the right, you've been going up against socialists for longer than Bernie Sanders's presidential candidacies. Okay. But an, an avowed open Soviet style socialist. You have, we've witnessed Joe Biden come in here last spring with a dynamite message. And a, and a dynamite packaging to that message, the way that it was handled and delivered. And then we've seen him be deconstructed, not just by his age and incompetency, but even before this became a reoccurring thing. Because you have to understand, Joe Biden came in here as, as kind of defined by his gaffes in his, throughout his political career anyway. These are not your average run-of-the-mill, oh, stand for Paul, oh, never mind, he can't stand, he's in a wheelchair, Joe Biden gaff. I mean, this this is a guy who can't keep his own record name location straight because he's 80, and this is grueling, and he's too old. Um, the painful kind of gaffes, like the ones you don't want to mock, the ones that you look at and you're like, I would be really scared if this guy were in the White House kind of gaffes, those kinds. Yet, before those became the the, the narrative with him, We saw him in these first couple of debates early last year abandon the really the entirety of the, for lack of a better comparison, Morning in America messaging that he launched his candidacy with. And we were talking about, hey, we don't put a lot of stock in these national polls, but he's also polling numbers we've never seen in these kinds of polls before. A little bit like in sports, if you're beating up on a bunch of scrubs all the time, we wouldn't put, by and large, a lot of stock in that. But if you're doing it by historic levels, that even great teams and they played scrubs like this, couldn't beat them this bad. Then we kind of think, well, maybe there's more going on here than just the caliber of the competition. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. And, and we saw, we've seen him abandon all of that. He's, he's offered no normalcy on any level whatsoever. And I think that's evidence we're beyond this consultant driven debate. That's dominated the Republican party and conservative media from really since, um, really since most of my career, but especially since the Iraq wars, unpopularity began to surge. And it's this idea that we can find these people who believe in some form of limited government versus, um, don't care about abortion and gay marriage, but that those are euphemisms for social issues. What we've actually learned looking at the numbers is there's far more people that care about our moral messaging than limited government. Number one, but then number two, all these bases are shrinking. So I, I, I think you're asking the right question, Constantinos. but I think you need to ask, a, you need to apply it more broadly. I don't, I don't think that it's the, the, the ratio of emphasis between limited government and moral issues because immoral people don't want limited government. And, and the more immorality we have in the culture, the less of an argument there's going to be for not just passing on my mistakes to you to pay or legislate my covetousness for me because I'm, I'm angry that I don't have as much as you and I deserve it. I think the broader question, and when, when your question began, this is where I thought you were going to go. The broader question is, I think, those of us who understand the broader themes at stake here, that that do have a theistic viewpoint. That have eyes to see and ears ears to hear and understand that you can't ask a godless people to be godly, and that there's a there's a there's some beginning steps here before we get to the end game of political activism. the The real debate is what's the ratio of political activism we do compared to spiritual witnessing. And whatever we thought it was a few years ago is 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 wrong. And we've tried to we've tried to emulate that in how we've done our own show. Now this year, you know, is an election year. And there's a there's an earthly practicality to my job. So I don't work explicitly for a ministry. I am not a minister. I don't have an explicit calling, vocationally, I should say, um, to advance and preach and teach the gospel. I have a personal one as a believer, as a, you know, the, the whole priesthood of every believer thing. Okay, all three of us agree with that. Okay, but but vocationally, that's not the the that's not what the blaze does. This isn't David Jeremiah or EWTN, okay? That, that's not what we do here. So this year we will have a, a larger emphasis than we, have last, than we did the last couple of years on politics because this is the Super Bowl of, of our vocation. It's, it's a presidential election year. You know, it, it, it would be if I, if I worked in, if this was primarily a college football show and there are probably some of you that are thinking snort, um, but ah. if this were primarily a college football show, I would still be as a believer looking for opportunities to, to witness there without it trampling under, underfoot with the vocational duty I have is. But if we were, if this was Super Bowl week or Final Four week or National Championship week, this would be very overwhelmingly about analyzing those situations because they're vocationally the culmination of why we're here. So this year we're going to probably be more out of whack. In putting more of an emphasis on how much we talk politics than we have the last couple of years, where we've done much more theology and worldview compared to politics. This year, given the magnitude of the event we have to cover, it'll, that ratio may flip a little bit. But holistically, I think we got to... Your analysis actually, in my opinion, takes us to a broader question. How much time do we spend in political activism compared to how much time do we spend with spiritual witnessing because you cannot ask a people to act on an to 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 apply an application they don't have a foundation for in the first place anybody else want to chime in on that
2: uh, i would only say a while back you talked about foreign policy and correct me i if I'm wrong on how I phrase this, but you know that we cannot, like we had in the past in the, in the Cold War, have just a broad, closer to a blanket policy. We have to be more nimble, more... Uh, uh, more the enemy is amorphous, yes, and so yes, do we need he, to be. Exa- yes. And in this... that. It, that's similar in this case. We we are deep in a game where whatever offensive game plan we may have had at the beginning, and we I think we all agree it was a bad one to some extent, now now it's more reacting to like, what are they going to give us? So it's if 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 the if the left is going to give us an opportunity on social policy, we take it. If they're gonna give it to us on poli- yes. limited government policy, yes. we take
1: it. Yes. Yeah. Because I because all of these are moral debates, every last yes. one of them. Are you entitled to something that doesn't belong to you? Which is how we, which is what limited government debates are about too, right? Correct. But really, that's a moral question, is it not? What we're talking about is legislating covetousness affirmatively. We're we're taking, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna legislate. I mean, the same commandments that say "thou shall not covet" also say "don't murder." So, so it's it's really not a question of why do we make moral, uh, you know, arguments where life is concerned, and let's just make widget practical arguments where. Where the welfare state is concerned or where the growth of statism is concerned, the reality is if I don't believe in the commandment not to murder, you're not going to make a common sense argument to get me to not steal from my neighbor when he has something I want. I'm going to the same authority. I'm going to need to respect the same authority that tells me not to murder as I'm going to make as I'm going to need to respect that tells me not to steal. Otherwise, guess what I'm going to do steal and because if i think murder is not so bad stealing is kind of a step down from that like we don't there's no argument about whether we have capital punishment for serial uh you know thieves we have it for serial murderers why because it's the more serious offense so if i'm willing to violate the most serious component of the moral law we get down to these lesser that i would view as lesser ones that's i'm going to pay it no mind when i get to those Mm
2: mm-hmm
0: All right, we'll move on again. This is from Arlen Showalter, who also wants to chime in about Revival or Bust. He says, While I truly find the motto Revival or Bust to be inspirational along the lines of Remember the Alamo— I'm afraid that it doesn't flow as a reasonable expectation from either human history nor biblical exegesis. From human history, we must acknowledge man's inherent sinfulness and his complete lack of ability to ascend beyond evil unless God directly intervenes. From biblical exegesis regarding saving grace, we know, quote, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Again, let me emphasize, Arlen says, those who find it are few. Even the great revivals of history— never resulted in the saving of nations, yet they did result in many more being added to the family of God. And for that, we should be eternally thankful. All this is to say, I believe revival and bust is the much more likely, or revival and bust is the much more likely scenario we shall experience in the near future. Do you agree?
1: No. If I did, I, I would have gone with that. Um, but it, it's not that I, Arlen, I disagree with your view of history. Um, I I I don't believe america is a messianic state I I don't believe it is a new israel um, I don't believe any of those things I also don't ignore that it has a providential history though at the exact same time And I and I know everybody wants everything to be either or and But often there needs to be distinctions and what do I mean by America has a providential history? I don't believe the United States of America was chosen by God to, to be a light to other nations like Israel. I don't believe that. What I do believe is that disparate groups of various Christian factions came here, starting with the very first Pilgrims on Plymouth Rock, seeking to invoke the sovereignty and grace of God in the purposes of blessing their efforts to form a nation. Meaning that they saw the promises offered to Israel as both specific to Israel, but comprehensive to God's covenant people in any age at the exact same time. They didn't see an either or, they saw an and also which is, you know what? When when Moses said, I have set before you, in Deuteronomy, I have set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life so that you may live. Moses was speaking directly about that land and that people at that time. But we also have common grace, the natural law, or as Thomas Jefferson defined it, the laws of nature and nature's God. And that any people, since that same Lord built a house to be a house of prayer for all nations that any group of people, whether it's a house church of three or even collectively a culture, any group of people who seek to glorify God in their actions corporately can, 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 can get the hem of the garment of such a promise. If that makes sense. And so they, they sought to invoke that blessing, to petition for it, maybe is a better way of describing it. And I think that's what makes this country unique in the arc of human history is that. It's not our constitution. It's what came before we got to that point. The, 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 the forging of our constitution is the culmination of these things. And the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock more than 150 years before we had a constitute, before we forged that constitution. It took generations to get from that Mayflower compact to those 13 colonies ratifying that document. And I think that's what's unique about this culture. If we were having this conversation about the fall, about French decadence, or if we were in the UK and we can't believe the monarchy falling apart that tradition's going away because Harry married, it was Harry, right? Cause I don't keep up on it. Was it, was that this, was the that recent the thing? Yeah. We're talking, yeah. Married some wokey, bro, you know, broad from Canada and and now wants to, you know, uh, so is socialist oats, right? Those thing those are cultures that their genesis is not a specific petitioning and seeking of the sovereignty of God to work specifically in, in, in this people's and in this nation's fate. Even the Declaration of Independence ends with an appeal to the Supreme Judge of the universe. Judge us if, what we're, what we're, if this declaration goes against your law. Judge us. If it, if it lines up with your law judge us we invite your judgment we in, we we provoke it we want it we seek it because the only way that we have any chance up against the most powerful human force on earth the british armada is providence they sought it out actively and i think that's what makes this nation unique so i don't believe it's messianic i don't believe it's israel i think there's only one israel and i think there's only one god's covenant people but I do believe it's unique. And so I, I, I don't know that I would compare, it's a direct parallel, the arc of history of our people to, to every other nation state that's come before us. This is the longest, when we say things like this is the longest standing experiment in self-government and human freedom in all of human history. And it's, it's you know, barely 240 years old. That's over the course of at least six thousand years. When we say things like that, if we mean them, we have to ask why. Did we roll snake eyes? Why? Why? I'm I think this is why. The uniqueness in how we chartered ourselves as a people. We invoke and provoke at the same time the will and sovereignty and grace of God. God shed his grace on thee. And then the expectation was, see where we've lost it in, in our age, and in, in, in a lot of this is happening on the right, I believe, is is a lot of what's left of America has become like the people of Jeremiah's time. This is a birthright we're owed. America's exceptional because it's, it, it, America is exceptional because it's, America is exceptional because it's America. And it's, and, it's exception, and, Amer- and it's exceptionally because it's America and it's America because it's exceptional. It's circular logic. No, no. It's the recognition that there is an ultimate law, the law of nature and nature's God. We seek to hold ourselves accountable to that law. And we believe if we do, you'll bless us by your will by your natural law, your common grace that makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust, you will bless the effort of a people that seeks after your will, that seeks after you. That's why they gave out Geneva Bibles and Congress. That's why they declared Thanksgiving and days of prayer and fasting. The seeking, the provoking and invoking of the will of God. You see that in other Western cultures, but it is for the purpose mostly of the monarchy believing that it is essentially a vicar or the or or the the divine ruler specifically appointed to rule over the people and therefore it is for the blessing of the of the ruling class in this country it was about the blessing of we the people so i think it's more it's it's more of a jigsaw puzzle here do you, you, i can sense that you want to chime in well, on well i this. just
2: thought great I put this out. Great question, great answer. This is why you never need be afraid of iron sharpening iron. Because uh, honestly, uh, this is less of a th- thing for a orthodox Catholic to wrestle with. But what you just saw is two Protestants who clearly believe in the power of total depravity mm-hmm. having a fascinating discussion on its application. And I think all of us are better for it. Uh, I mean, I, I think he was—he pulled no punches. He was honest. It wasn't snarky. He said, "But I, I beg to differ." And what you saw, Steve, is come, come right back. Um, and no one in this conversation—it should be the worst for us. That, that was absolutely fascinating.
1: And let me define the way I would define how I define the, the invoking of total depravity on this show. I don't believe there is anything any of us can do to choose to be saved of our own volition i just get up one day and i'm like you know and i'm tired of sinning jesus come into my life i don't believe that any of that i don't believe none would choose him none are good no one is righteous all right but it doesn't mean that i mean if if the the same the same scriptures that say none would choose him also then say well, why are you just nice to people that are nice to you? Anybody, even, even pagans would do that. Well, if, if we had no ability, we still are the Imago Dei. We still carry the spark of our maker within us, which is why even terrible people can do great acts of charity. And, and why also, because of total depravity, people that you have, that you view as having exemplary character, you get up one morning and check Twitter and they've really let you down, okay? Again, I think, there's, I think we often put and ors where there's an and also, and we are or either ors or there's an and also and and also is where there's either ors. OK, I don't believe without the specific inclination and movement of God in my life, I could become a Christian. I don't believe that. I don't. And my own testimony witnesses to the firmness of my theological conviction here, because I probably I probably asked Jesus to come into my life 75 times before one day on September eighteenth, two 2003, I actually did and began to change what I see and what I think okay but that didn't mean there was nothing good about me I still didn't have some propensity to love and care and be merciful to others so again this is the tension of Christianity that Jesus is reigning right now but his kingdom has yet fully arrived There's, there's these constant tensions that were in the world and not of it these constant tensions we have to wrestle with And that's all I have to say about that.
0: Very well said. On to um, an issue of equal gravity. Kevin Whitehurst says With the Chiefs being a one point favorite, should I go segue. I love it. Way to lighten the load. I love it. And the over or Chiefs and the under. Uh, The gut has me leaning towards the over, but that 49ers defense is no joke. I think
1: that um, if if you, if, if, if I, I like the Chiefs in the game, and I think that's a correlated, what they call a correlated parlay. Now, I've not seen the total though. Have you seen the total Aaron? What is it? Uh, it's I think it's up to 53 this morning. Okay, let
3: me see here.
0: Uh, 53 and a half.
1: I would play the, I'd play I'd the play Chiefs the in the over is what I would do. I think, I think the 49ers have a level of physicality, the line of scrimmage that the chiefs are not, frankly prepared um, to take advantage to, to stand up to. And I think, I think we didn't see we saw that yesterday. It's just the Titans panicked because they, the Chiefs started scoring on every possession, and they got away from Derrick Henry, right? And they they gave up on him too early when he was running the ball very effectively, especially in the first half. That's the 49ers' DNA. It's what got him here as well. Um, and you have to keep in mind who the 49ers coach is. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons when they blew a 28-3 lead in the second half against the Patriots in the Super Bowl four years ago in what's considered you know, one of the great Super Bowls of all time. He has lived for the last four years of his life with this never-ending question. Why don't you guys just keep running the ball in the second half and run out the clock? Right? Why did you keep chucking and ducking and giving Tom Brady the ball back, right? Yeah. So when you see Jimmy Garoppolo wins the NFC Championship yesterday by only throwing six passes, Kyle Shannon, I mean, dude, they were calling a timeout at the end of the first half yesterday with in a two-minute drill, to then hand the ball off some more, right? There, he he is—if he's. The, if the 49ers lose here in two weeks, it's going to be for a multitude of reasons, except we know it won't be for one. We're not going to ask the question, I did run the ball more. No. Kyle Shanahan has lived with this. That's his laces out. <laughs> this is his Ace Ventura mantra lament for the last four years of his life. He gets up in the middle of the night, we should have ran the ball more, all right? We just want to ran the ball three more times. That's one less possession. We don't go to overtime, right? Yeah. And so if the 49ers lose to the Chiefs, it's going to be for any other reason other than, I promise you we're not going to come in here in two weeks, the Monday after the Super Bowl, and say, I cannot believe after the way they ran the ball in the playoffs, they just stopped running the ball. That's not going to happen. All right? They're not going to give up on the running game the way that the Titans gave up on Derrick Henry. So I think that plays to the weakness of the Chiefs defense. And then I think, Every defense is weak against Pat Mahomes when he's healthy. I, I don't. I, I think it's every week you're playing Dan Marino the year he threw the 48 touchdown passes, Tom Brady the and Peyton Manning the year they had their career years. You're playing that every week when he's healthy, and you get out there on a, fa- on a fast track. I think the Chiefs will win because they have the better quarterback. So I would play the over. You guys, have any thoughts on that?
2: I'd play the over, but I have not ascertained who I think will win.
0: Okay. For you, from your lips to God's ears. Gary Burke says, so you really believe the earth is 6,000 years old? Just kidding from (laughs) last week. I think you were gone for that, Todd. If I may answer that (laughs) I was gone,
2: Ben. That's why I want to know what's
0: going on. If I may answer uh, that I believe the gap theory, there is a gap of time between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, that the universe slash earth could be billions of years old, but the reforming occurred 6,000 years ago. It needed to be reformed due to the fall of Satan.
2: Okay, that's it. That's what I missed. Yeah, I, I,
1: I have interviewed <laughs> and read numerous books on this topic, and interviewed everybody from Ken Ham to uh, Hugh Ross, who are kind of the lead experts in young earth and old earth creationism. I've done tons of stuff early in my career when intelligent design was all the rage with guys like Jay Richards. Um, You know, I know Guillermo Gonzalez, the Iowa state professor that co-wrote the Privileged planet. So I have, I've, I've, I'm very well versed on this topic, very well versed. And, and I've entertained and interviewed the three major viewpoints and because I'm very well versed in this topic is why my answer to what you just said
2: Eh, is okay.
1: (laughs) Love it. What was the, because here's why it's not that I don't believe it, 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 this in my life, if if I was, now this again goes, if I was vocationally a pastor, I'd spend a lot more time on this because I do think it's, please don't take this to me. I don't think it's an important issue, but for the cause of the show that we're doing in the format, we are, man, this can get into Nat, straining and camel swallowing territory in a nanosecond. Put it this way, I'd rather do eschatology. So what was
2: give me the elevator speech. What how did this even come up?
1: It came up because a guy was trying to justify science as his plumb line. I got it. And because he didn't believe the earth was only six thousand years old and, and I just turned it around on 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 his belief in science. Well here's all the time science contradicted itself. So how can you believe in science? Got it. Does that make sense? Totally. Okay. All right we'll come back more of your ask me anything. Sometimes we'll have long answers, sometimes not. Next. Hey, did you know that dry dog food must have a two to three year shelf life? Dry dog food manufacturers will then sterilize the food when they make it. In other words, they have to kill anything that might be alive in your pet's food. And the unfortunate side effects of this... In that process is they kill the good stuff while they're at it. In other words, we're processing food for dogs like we process too many foods for human beings nowadays. So the probiotics, the enzymes, vitamins, healthy microbacteria, these are all things that your dog needs but doesn't get from their food because essentially it's dead food. As the parent of a new puppy, I'm so happy I found Rough Greens VitaSmart. First of all, well, new in that he looks new. Our little Captain America doggy. Our little Bichon looks new, but... He's been in our home for six years. He just looks the exact same as he did when we brought him home, but cleaner. Uh, first of all, it's not a dog food. It's a healthy supplement that puts, you, puts into your dog's food all of the live nutrients necessary for superior dog health. No matter if you feed the most expensive dog food on the market or make your dog's food at home or somewhere in between, Rough Greens Smart will make your dog's food even better. And if you want to see your dog thrive again, just go to roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F is how that's spelled. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's roughgreens.com slash blaze, or you can call 833-MY-DOG-33. 833-MY-DOG-33. That's 833-693-6433, or just make it as simple as possible. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. Before we go back to the next, go to our next question, I want to go back to the previous one and just add one addendum, Okay. i I want to clarify because we ran out of time when i say that this is a particular debate that doesn't serve the prime directive of this show but it's an important topic okay this this is if for me to take and use the show as a platform to take a particularly dogmatic view on this issue gets in the could potentially get in the way of bringing people together that that ultimately would advance the prime directive of our show. That doesn't mean we don't believe in taking positions that may drive wedges. You know, I don't believe there is any path for human beings to ultimately have their sins forgiven other than the cross of Jesus Christ. That conviction and belief, since it's ultimately the prime directive of the show, I have no problem ultimately if we drive people away because of my belief in that, because my belief in that is the prime directive of the show. Does that make sense? Yes. This debate while be, if if I didn't think it was important, I wouldn't have had done so many interviews and so much research on it and spent, you know, time looking at the various perspectives on it. Cause I do think it's important. Okay. But for me to take a dogmatic view on that could potentially get in the way of the prime directive of this show. And that's what I wanted to clarify. So when I, so sometimes there are things that are important, but they're not preeminent in what we ultimately want to accomplish with our program.
0: Well said. Yep. We'll just let that stand there. Uh, We'll move on to Art Baer, who says, About two weeks ago, there was an exchange between Steve and Todd about losing salvation. Todd, as a Catholic, said yes, and Steve, as an uh, evangelical, said no. Steve, can you expand and reiterate, as I was confused at the end of the discussion, as I recalled, this was an important breakthrough in understanding the sects of Christianity.
1: Yeah, I don't believe you can lose that which you didn't earn. Right. So I, I, I said last hour, or early, was it no, earlier this hour, what, what I believe total depravity means. Like, I don't believe there's that you can, of your own will, decide to give away, give up your sinfulness and, and, and come to Christ. And Christ is God himself and says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. When he teaches people to pray, Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will, your will be done. Okay. And so the goal of our free will is to align it with God's will. That's what it's, it's It's not to, we're not to be moral free agents, choosing the light and dark side of the force at a moment by moment perspective. Okay. So since I don't believe you can choose totally of your own will to become a Christian because you're, we're sinners we're fallen um that god has to initiate in our lives therefore if we don't it's a it's it's a logical argument therefore why why could you lose something that you didn't choose or earn to begin with it is a free gift is salvation through the free gift of faith lest any man would boast so that was the position that i was articulating todd you have a different view
2: Yes, and it's fascinating in light of the earlier discussion about uh, a total depravity and um, survival or, revival or bust. That's simply—and and it's fascinating. We go to the same prayer uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is an ongoing uh, discussion, and I uh, people who are saved are uh, in no way— It is said they no longer sin. It's and if you believe they can still sin, uh, it begs the question: Does it mean you can only sin a little bit or a lot of bit? That level of black signing. So honestly, this is where the tension. And where we go with it is fascinating because, again, Steve is uh, uh, believes in it uh, has an application of total depravity that I agree with in some level, adult level. Uh, so, But it seems like it seems counterintuitive and paradoxical that our applications then in this issue would work out the way that they do. Uh, again, iron sharpens iron. Uh, thank goodness Steve and I are not slitting others' thro- throats over this like have been in other generations. And who knows, perhaps someday we will be again. But um, I think ultimately it is about, as Steve said in the previous discussion about 6,000, make the main thing the main thing. Keep it there. And then you need not be afraid of having these uh, uh, debates, even if they're passionate. So along those
1: lines, let's see if we can. Art will not be the only person in this audience that has this question. Let's see if we can come up with a specific scriptural instance that might even make it simpler with the traditional Catholic Protestant debate on this is. So when Paul says in the scriptures, I die daily, okay, from a Catholic viewpoint, you think he is speaking soterologically, meaning that's a big fancy stained glass window for salvation. Okay, the study, the science, how do, how do we come to salvation? You think he is speaking in a macro view that I have to die daily um, as a witness to my salvation. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. In the Protestant view, we believe he is speaking sanctify he is speaking about his sanctification. That when he says I need to die daily, what he means is that my salvation is assured, but the power that 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 God has placed within me, his Holy Spirit, okay, I have to die to my flesh daily for that Holy Spirit to then reign for in so that God's will reigns in my life as it is in heaven. That's where a lot of this debate is. He, Todd believes he's speaking on a macro level about our salvation and the Protestant level. We, on the Protestant side, we believe he is speaking on a personal level about our sanctification. All right. is which is the process by which, and both Catholics and Protestants both believe in sanctification. It, that's yeah, why they that's have all the rituals that, that Protestants often like to pan. It is a, it is to remind a Catholic believer of the rigid rigidity of the sanctification process. Okay. With what, what a new birth really means. All right. So, that would be an illustration of that difference. Is that fair?
2: It's fair. And listen, if you are still like, if this isn't totally clear to you, that's totally fine. Because I I mean, it's, we see through a glass darkly. We're all working this thing out. So
0: great question. Moving on to Adam Houston, who asks, is sports gambling a sin?
1: So this is a debate that I have had for many years before it's legalization. Okay. Um, I think Now, I think the answer is no. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't talk about it the way that I talk about it, okay? But what's important for the audience to understand is, and you guys have been with me and listened to me even before you came to work here. So I hope you'll back me up on this. And if I'm lying, call me out. But this is not a case of me reverse engineering here, all right? Meaning this is not, hey, this is something I like to do. So of course, I don't think it's a sin. Meaning that, I looked into this long and hard for the years before this thing started becoming legalized everywhere and and truly investigated it. And that's why I don't think it's a sin. Meaning there's other things that I find fun and would like to do that I don't because they're a sin, okay? I mean, I I I, I would like to get over in all kinds of situations, okay? I've talked before about You know, james says you're not tempted by anything except that which you don't really want Why am I tempted by women? Because I like them. Why am I not tempted by meth? I don't like that. (laughs) All right Why am I why was I tempted by alcohol and not by cigarettes? I liked one and didn't like the other All right So it's important whether you agree with me or disagree with me on this That I want you to know I didn't reverse engineer. Hey, I like this. I find it interesting. So it's not a sin That's not what I did I began with this premise is do you believe learned speculative markets are sin? So is, is 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 investing in the stock market a sin? That's speculative. You you can't it's, guarantee an outcome. Is starting a business. Is starting, hey, I walked out of WHO radio making eighty-five thousand dollars a year with a family, which is a nice living. I wasn't rich, but you can live pretty nice in Des Moines, Iowa for eighty five thousand dollars a year. Okay. And I walked out of a show with, with that was basically as long as I didn't do anything just really real moral turpitude, I could have that job the rest of my life. I mean, there's people that are working at WHO since I and I left nine years ago now that were there for thirty years before I got there and are still there. If you, it's one of those places where you can have an a, a, an assured job in broadcasting as close as the marketplace in this day and age allows you. And I walked out of there with a six month non compete. And no understanding of how I was really, I had theories, but no real practical experience with how I was going to get to where I'm at right now. I took a speculative risk. That was my gamble. If, if I go down to the soybean market and bet on the price of soybeans, is that not a bet? If, if, if it's a mutual fund, a bet. Is any, because to me, if sports gambling is a sin, now, I think the key here is can it become idolatrous? Yes, anything can become idolatrous. Absolutely anything. And if you want to say this particular action can can be more prone to idolatry than others, well, the fact that we have a security and exchange commission to regulate insider trading and cheating that goes on in in the in, would tend to indicate that that's true, okay? Just as can dancing, particularly of a certain provocative nature, open the door to certain lustful habits more than just walking past somebody on a sidewalk? True. Mm-hmm. Does that though mean dancing is inherently sinful? No. Does it mean that if that it can be abused in a way that can be a gateway to those things? This is the key point. Yes. Yes. Okay, so for sports gambling to be a down to me I don't think it's the same either as I worked for 70 years and i'm taking all of my inheritance or all of my retirement And every day i'm walking into a casino and i'm just mind numbingly put a nickel in here over and over again every day And that's where i'm wasting my life away But if if, if there is a speculative market For sports gambling to be a sin then so must every form of speculative market because it's the same. Before legalization, you could have made the argument, hey, these are houses of ill repute. You have to do this black market, right? You shouldn't associate with beings and entities like that. Those are absolutely fair fair arguments, right? Yeah. Okay? But but now that we are now now these things have become corporatized, where they're as heavily regulated as anything else, I, I think that for sports gambling legalized sports wagering to be a sin, then any form of speculative investing has to be a sin. And if you have an alternative view, by golly, email it to me. I will entertain it. We've had I've had these conversations on this show for years before this ever actually got to this point.
2: The, to me, this is another analogy. The answer to me is obviously no. And it's along the lines of college right now. Is going to college a sin? Of, of course not. Are you... Do you really need to look at the current upper uh, status of the landscape of college and wonder what you're throwing your kids into? Yes. And you know, I, on the show, we've had this debate. I think gambling has become, sports gambling has become a huge problem. But is it inherently a sin? I'm Again, obviously, no.
0: All right. Moving on to David R. who asks, what is your dream automobile?
1: When I was a teenager, I wanted to have a baby blue colored Jaguar.
2: Baby blue? No way.
1: Yep. Oh, I get it. Okay, yeah, I, I see what you did there.
2: Okay. Did it have a charger lightning bolt on it?
1: <laughs> no, 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 that's good though. I like that. I see what you did there again. So that was it when I was a kid or when I was, a, when I was younger. Um, I don't know that I really have one now. You know what? Yeah, I do. But it would be one that I wouldn't drive. If I could have a dream vehicle now, it'd be like the freaking Madden Cruiser where the bathroom, everything in there is self-contained. I don't have to drive either. And all the hassles of transportation and pulling over and everything else is all gone. That is so on point. So you would have and, a driver. Then. Yeah, yeah, and on then I have a point. driver and I'm back there. I can get work done in between stops. Go to Then I'd see all kinds of stuff that I just don't want to get up and go to go see, see right now. We're talking all okay. this highbrow
2: philosophy, but right now that's the essence of know thyself right there. Yes.
1: Yep, I'll own it. Yes. So the Madden Cruiser... That's my dream vehicle. That's my dream car. Very nice. Yeah. Automobile. Uh,
0: Michael Hudson asks, how would you advise we pray for president Trump, Senator McConnell, Senator Schumer, Speaker Pelosi, and the rest? What specifically do you think we should pray for them about?
1: Now we're getting into stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm just a talk show host with some convictions. Okay. I'm, I'm not a uh, ecclesiastical authority. Okay. So, From a purely layman's point of view, I would suggest you'd pray for them all the same, that they would seek the will of God in the decisions that they make and the lives that they live and that God would hold them accountable if they don't. And that if they do bad things, there would be consequences. And if if they do good things, there would be justice and reward. Well, justice either way, because consequences for bad things is justice too. So if they do good things, there's reward. And if they do bad things, there are consequences so that they and the people they represent learn, this is, you know, we don't want to have to suffer those consequences again. I would, and then of course there's an automatic, you know, you want to pray for the personal salvation of every one of those people because you're going to be obviously far more inclined to seek out uh, the will of God when you have a relationship with him uh, than when you don't. So those would be my suggestions, but they're... Very basic from a layman's perspective.
2: Again, amen.
0: All right, one more quickly. Jim Stalker says, Scripture exhorts us as fathers to always be teaching our kids about God and his word. I've got three kids, though we have Christian books, kids' Bibles, and I talk to them about who Jesus is and what he did for us. I struggle with making it a consistent practice to constantly teach them what they need to know. Do you have any advice about how to do that effectively? How do you discuss and teach your kids about Jesus? So I...
1: Boy, this one... I could do an entire theology Thursday on this. Okay. It, you need to be intentional without being contrived. It it needs to be consistent without being pestering and annoying. I've got friends who did every homeschool every night devotional at the dinner table that our family didn't do. And they've got rebellious kids. And in my own family, I've got a quasi rebellious oldest daughter, um, I don't think that there's a foolproof method here. You're dealing with human beings, not robots. So for the dads, the number one thing I would say is to, is, is start with modeling and living this in your own life and letting your kids see it first.
2: It has to be unambiguously true that you love Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Start there. Like so, like when you made when when the kids were little, for ex- even when they didn't understand, I mean, I do it now that they're older and they get it, but when the kids were little and didn't understand, if I made a mistake, I lost my temper, I did something dumb, I'd get down on one knee, I'd look them right in the eye and say, "I sinned, I'm sorry, okay and and I think that's why we have a quasi um uh, rebellion in our home is because while the daughter is is still trying to figure out what kind of woman she's going to be now as an adult, she still has an immense amount of respect for what she's seen from her old man, both his weaknesses and his strengths. So I would start there. And then I'd have everything that you intend to do from there be a part of it, okay? But trying to contrive things like fad diets. This is the year we're doing this... Yep, great analogy. It'll work for a while, but when they get old enough that they don't, they, they don't need your approval as much as they did when they were little, that's where you'll get the rebellion
2: then. Don't be a method actor. Be the real thing. Yeah. Great, great point.
1: Yep. Yeah. That's going to do it for today. Good questions. Really appreciated that stuff. A lot of good theological ones as well. So we'll be back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. We're just stick around, do a little overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, John John 317.